If you have a Bible, this morning will be in Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts is right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts in the New Testament. You can imagine how Peter must have felt after denying Jesus, his friend, his mentor, the one he had given up so much to follow. You can also imagine how difficult it must have been for Peter to wake up that Saturday morning after denying him, knowing that Jesus was dead, buried in a borrowed tomb. In Peter's mind, he would never see him again. It was the last interaction he would have with him, and it was in denial. It was in turning his back on Jesus when he needed him the most. But then, Jesus sought Peter out, and he restored him. As we saw in the drama, three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus restored Peter. Peter was elated. Not only was Jesus alive, but he had entrusted him with the power and authority to lead his early followers. And that's exactly what Peter did. He led them to obey Jesus' command to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave them previous to his ascension. And here these disciples are. They're gathered in a home, waiting for Jesus' promise to come to pass. It happened to be the day of Pentecost, a day where Jerusalem would have been bustling with people, people that had come to worship, that had come to celebrate, people from all over the known world, Jewish people coming to celebrate one of those three major feasts. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, just like Jesus said, in such a powerful way that the entire house they were gathered in was consumed with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And they all began to speak in foreign languages that they didn't know previously. This commotion made the multitudes that were there take notice. And some even mocked, saying, these guys are drunk. What in the world is going on? But Peter, in verse 14, stands up in the middle of all of this and begins to explain exactly what is happening according to Old Testament prophecy. See, this wasn't by accident. This wasn't something that caught them off guard. They were expecting it and they could explain it in the very scriptures that these people claim to believe in. This is the same Peter who just 40 days previously couldn't admit he was a follower of Jesus in front of a few people around a fire. Now he's standing up in front of several thousand people, boldly proclaiming Jesus. What changed? He saw the resurrected Jesus. That's what changed. The resurrection changed everything. Jesus was no longer just a good teacher or someone to pattern his life after. You see, Peter realized that if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, which according to Dr. Simon Greenleaf, Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in human history. Peter, realizing this, understood that it changes everything. This means that Jesus is God. It means that Jesus is worthy of our worship. It means that we must lay our lives down and follow Him. Peter understood something that I want us to consider this morning. Peter understood that there are only two options when it comes to Jesus. Ignore Him and be in opposition to God. 
or receive him and be at peace with God. There's only two options when it comes to Jesus. Because he was resurrected from the dead. You see, you guys, Easter changes everything. You can't just come here and talk about a resurrected Jesus Christ and then walk away unchanged. If you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then it changes everything the way it changed Peter. You either ignore him and you're in opposition to God or you receive him and you're at peace with God. Well, you mean to say that if I'm not actively following Jesus, I'm in opposition to God? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, that's ridiculous. I'm a good person. I believe in God. Most of you, if not all of you do, I'm sure. That's why you're here this morning. It's your way of telling others that you believe in God. Christmas, Easter, those are the times where I'm going to give God a little bit of my time. I own a Bible. I've never hurt anyone. I'm not a murderer or a rapist. I even stop for pedestrians in the crosswalk. Heck, people like me. I work hard. I pay my taxes. I follow most of the laws except the stupid speed limit in Oregon. But beyond that, I'm a good person. I've even begun to turn the water off while I brush my teeth to help save the planet. I think God's going to look at my life when it's all said and done, and He's going to accept me because my good works outweigh my bad works. Many of you have said that. Many of you believe that. And it's a deception from the enemy. Because you see, none of these things are the issue, you guys. None of these things are the issue at all. The people that Peter spoke with here in Acts chapter 2, they were extremely moral people. They were in Jerusalem because of their devotion to God. Much like you believe you're here because you believe in God. But what they didn't realize is that they were actually in opposition to God. They believed themselves to be very good people. People with whom God was pleased. But Peter is about to tell them otherwise. Peter, this man who just a month and change previous had denied Jesus, felt like his ministry was over. He believed that it was done. But he saw the resurrected Jesus. And it changed everything. And he's now going to stand up in front of these people and boldly proclaim who Jesus is. In verse 22 it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God. Jesus was a man recognized and validated by God the Father. Jesus is God's Son. He performed many Miracles and signs and wonders in their midst, as Peter goes on to say. Over and over, Jesus declared himself to be working in tandem with the Father to accomplish the predetermined plan of God. In fact, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Well, look at what Peter says. Peter's telling them, You believe that you follow God. You believe that you're at peace with God. But I want to tell you, you're in opposition to God. And here's why. Look what he says in verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. I want to ask you a question this morning. Did you kill Jesus? I'm sure your first reaction is, of course not. How could I be blamed for something I had nothing to do with? But the, react, the reason I ask is because that would have been the very same reaction of hundreds 
of people that were there in that crowd that day. These listeners didn't literally kill Jesus any more than you literally killed Jesus. There may have been some that were present during the mock trial of Jesus, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But many of them weren't even there. They had absolutely nothing to do with his death. And yet Peter lays the blame right at their feet. He says, you crucified and killed and put Jesus to death. By doing this, Peter is making a very direct point. A point that applies to all of us as well. Peter can say this because everybody in that crowd was involved against the crime against Jesus that brought him to death. You see, the essence of the crime against Jesus was not ending Jesus' physical life. The essence of the crime against Jesus was the rejection of God in Jesus' life. I want you to think about this very carefully with me. Jesus was handed over to be crucified on the charge of blasphemy. He declared himself to be the Son of God, the Messiah, equal with the Father, the great I Am. Over and over Jesus said these things until the religious mafia couldn't take it anymore. The Jewish leaders rejected these claims and they rejected what God said about Jesus. They called him a blasphemer. Therefore, if a person rejects Jesus, they are rejecting God. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. They rejected him. Therefore, they were rejecting the very God they thought they were worshiping. To cast your vote on the side of blasphemy is to reject Jesus' endorsement from God the Father. It is to say in your heart, crucify him. Crucify him. So what I'm asking you this morning is not were you there on Good Friday, standing in opposition to Jesus, sending him to his death. I'm asking you this morning, do you join God in affirming Jesus? Do you agree with God the Father's affirmation of who Jesus is? Or do you stand against God by rejecting Jesus? See, you might think that you're at peace with God. You might think that God's going to look at you when it's all said and done, and he's going to see that your good works outweigh your bad works. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that isn't the issue. That the only way that you can please God is what you did with his son. The same way these people came and they thought they were worshiping God. When in fact, they were in opposition to God. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, my friends, you are in opposition to God. You've said in your heart, crucify him. Remember, there are only two choices when it comes to Jesus. Ignore him and be at opposition with God. Or receive him and be at peace with God. Where are you at this morning? It has nothing to do with walking old ladies across the street or being nice to puppies. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what you've done with his son. Because if you reject his son, you reject God. We see three ways in our text in which God the Father endorses Jesus. First of all, in verse 22, by working signs and wonders through him. The signs and wonders that Jesus performed were God's way of endorsing Jesus. In verse 22, it says he was attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did him through, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Notice, it says it twice. 
It says he was attested by God by miracles, which God did through him. Twice it declares that this was God the Father's way of endorsing Jesus. The miracles were God's certification upon Jesus' life. They were God's affirmation, his endorsement. In fact, in John 5.36, Jesus giving a defense for his ministry as the religious leaders are wanting to put him to death. He says, but I have a greater witness than John the Baptist. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. A second way that we see God the Father endorsing Jesus is by planning his death for the sins of the people. Look at verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, by the sovereignty of God. This was planned. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. And so there was the the sovereign plan of God working in tandem with the evil desires of men. God endorsed Jesus by foreordaining his death for our sins before the foundations of the world. This wasn't like plan B. Adam sinned and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, we've got to figure something out here really quick. What are we going to do? Panic mode. I didn't prepare for this. God knew and he had planned it from the very foundations of the world that Jesus would come, that he would give his life a ransom for many so that we could have forgiveness of our sins and so that we could be freed from the sins that have been committed against us and so that the message could be preached to the whole world. The difference, you guys, between God's plan to kill Jesus and it was his plan, Isaiah 53 tells us it pleased the Father to crush Jesus. The difference between God's plan to kill Jesus and the religious leaders or the Roman government's plan to kill Jesus was that they were crucifying Jesus as a blasphemer, as a fake, as a disingenuous zealot who made claims about himself that weren't true. But when God the Father sent Jesus to the cross, it was a way of affirming Jesus as his son. It was a way of endorsing him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was endorsed by God the Father through the miracles he did, through his death for the sins of the people. And the third way we see it in verse 24, a third way in which God the Father endorsed Jesus was by raising him from the dead. It says, whom God raised up. Verse 23 ends, this Jesus you killed and crucified. Then in stark contrast, verse 24 God gives his powerful response to this act. He raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. You and I voted against Jesus and it sent him to the cross to be brutally murdered. But God voted yes for Jesus. You denounced him, but God endorsed him. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And this morning, you have a choice. Are you going to continue to denounce Jesus? Are you going to continue to kill him, to crucify him? Or are you going to identify with God the Father this morning and seeing him raised from the dead in your life? You only have two choices. Continue to be in opposition to God by your continuing to reject Jesus. See, there's none of this, I'm a good person. 
you are a sinner. You're in opposition to God. The Bible says you're an enemy of God apart from Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just telling you the truth. Because I would be remiss if I was just to give you a nice little talk. Something to match your pretty dress or your nice clothes. But that's not the truth. The truth of it is you are a despicable sinner. You are wicked to your core. And you need to be redeemed. And apart from Jesus Christ, you and I are in opposition to God. Just like these people who had gathered there to worship God. They thought that they were in God's will. And Peter wanted to tell them, you are in opposition to him. Many of you came here today to put a notch in your belt, thinking that you are right where God wants you to be. But without Jesus, you are destined for eternal destruction. You are in opposition to the very God that you say you believe in. It's not enough to mentally assent to the existence of God. The Bible says even Satan does that. It's not enough to believe that God is real, that Jesus is true. It's not even enough to believe that the cross is legitimate or that Jesus rose from the dead. You have to appropriate it. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved and it will change your life. There won't be any wondering, am I saved? Am I not? Am I doing enough for God to accept me? How much can I do to still be a Christian? None of that matters. Because when the resurrected Jesus Christ comes into your life, it changes everything. I like to say, it's like a hurricane blowing through a mobile home park. Nobody questions if something happened. Nobody walks around going, did something happen here today? The place is destroyed. When the resurrected Jesus Christ comes into your life, you know it. You don't need to think about it. You don't need to ask. You know. So you don't need to wonder back, was I really saved back in 1987 when I went on that youth retreat? Was I really a Christian back in 95 when I went forward at the Baptist church? Did I really know Jesus? You guys, just confess him as Lord. Receive him into your life. The Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead exists in Christians. I don't think there's going to be any question whether or not the Holy Spirit resides in you. The way it blew the doors off that tomb, God wants to blow the doors off your life. But you've got to let him. Otherwise, you are in stark opposition to God this morning. Where do you want to be? Do not leave this place without making Jesus your Lord. He was raised from the dead. That changes everything. It ought to change your life. Today isn't about the ham baking in the oven. It's not about pink dresses and bunny rabbits and eggs hidden in the bushes. It's not about jelly bellies. It's not about who's going to win the masters. My friends, today is about a risen Savior who wants to wrap you in his arms of love and wants to change your life. Let's stand together. If you don't know Jesus this morning, myself, our elders... We'll be up front. We want to pray with you. If you know Jesus, but you've been struggling in your walk and you just need prayer, we want to pray with you this morning. We've got some Bibles that we can give you if you don't have one, some literature to help you to grow in the Lord. Take some time. There's no hurry today. There's nothing more important than what I talked about this morning. There's no more important message in all of the world. Make it real in your life today. We want to come alongside you. We'll be here for as long as we need to be. 
You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, you may do so at our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com, or you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Once again, thank you for listening, and God bless.